Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. said I'm Tabitha I've been coming to this church since 2016 2017 uh, go to the Battersea site um, and my yes yes um, and my calling from God is to be a creative communicator that is who I am so I really hope I can do a good job of that today I'm going to start by going out on a limb and asking a question so if you're feeling brave shout out What is your favorite movie? Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Good one. Anyone else? Okay, To Rush With Love. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Yeah, anyone else? Cool Runnings. Bit rogue to my plot point, but I really appreciate that as a movie. Okay, so my point is, we all love a movie where good overcomes evil, like good in the face of evil. And this is a story that is told over and over and over again. It's in all the movies, just in a slightly different packaging. We just love to see someone going forth to defeat evil at great cost to themselves and triumphing in the end. And I think the reason why we all love this story is because it's God's story. God has placed this story over and over and over again. It's all through history. It's like he's left his fingerprints through history and onto our hearts. As I walked up here this morning, I was thinking, it's even a story we see like in nature, you know, like death comes, we're all so depressed over winter, and then spring comes and we're like, yes, life won in your face, you know? So I'm preaching today on Jesus, oh, I have a clicker, this is on me, on Jesus, the risen king, yes. And I have to say, when putting this talk together, I got a little bit distracted thinking, because we're about to have another enthronement of a different kind. King Charles is getting enthroned next month. And I realized, I think both of those stories can be put into three points. We have the preparation stage, we have the enthronement itself, and then we have the reign. So we're gonna start with the preparation. Now, I looked up about King Charles. I was thinking, okay, he's probably been preparing for this coronation for like the last six months to a year, maybe. I was wrong. King Charles has been preparing this for years. They even had a secret code name called Operation Golden Orb. And once a year, the the royalty would gather for this Operation Golden Orb meeting, and they've been planning it for years. So, you think that is a long time. We're going to go to the Operation Golden Orb phase of preparing for Jesus' kingdom. And if you thought that was long, we're going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You see, in the very beginning, we got to live under God's kingdom, and it was amazing. It was perfect. But us humans, we often want the power. We often want life our way. And so it couldn't go on anymore. We, we broke the rules. We got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And what we've seen throughout the whole of the Old Testament is basically the human way 
is the way of nepotism. It's like, first son gets the power, gets the money, it's called his birthright, he gets it all. And actually, God doesn't like that. God doesn't think, oh yeah, you should just get power for the sake of it. Because the oldest son often abuses the birthright for personal gain, and this leads to uh, corruption, it leads to violence. And God wants the right man at the top. God wants the person who's willing to serve, the person with the wisdom for it. And we can see this all through history. So it started with Cain and Abel there. And Abel was the youngest son who had the wisdom. Cain didn't like it. He killed Abel. Then it happens with Jacob and Esau. Esau's the older son. He's meant to get the birthright, but Jacob ends up getting it. And Jacob ends up having 12 sons who are the 12 tribes of Israel. And finally, when the Israelites are like, we really want an earthly king. We want a man to worship. And God's like, okay, fine. So the men choose the most kingly-looking man, the tall man, the good-looking man, the powerful man, and it all goes to pot in the end. And God's like, no, this is the guy you should have chosen. He is the smallest of the tribes. He's the youngest of eight brothers. And this is the guy. He's the man over my own heart. So we see that God challenges human-made systems of power and abuse, and he turns them upside down. That is God's heart to do that. And yet, we as men didn't get it. We're still like, we want to worship someone powerful. And even though there's 300 prophecies, more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about how Jesus will be humble, he'll be broken, the Jews were still expecting a great and powerful leader to come and overturn their systems of oppression. I just thought, as it's Easter, let's read one of those prophecies um, today, because this is really describing Jesus. It's in Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 11. It's a lot of text, sorry, but it's all on one slide, so (laughs) then we're done. Okay, no, it's great. This is really good stuff. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so he could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal who was put in a rich man's grave. But it was not the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. So even with incredible prophecies like this, that literally describe Jesus as a servant, 
we were expecting a man-made king. The Israelites were under oppression for the Roman Empire. They're expecting a warlord to come and overthrow it for them. And what they got was a humble man, a carpenter. No money, no power, preaching a very different message. And actually, the first thing he says in Mark 1, after being baptized, is the kingdom of God is near. And through reading about the story of Jesus, I've come to realize, I think what Jesus was doing is he was building like a model version of the kingdom of heaven and saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven's going to look like, but on a massive scale. It's a bit like if you've been to Legoland and there's like the model village, you know, like there's the model London, and then you know obviously there's the real London. And I think that's what Jesus' life was. He was building a model village of the kingdom of heaven. So who wants to see what the kingdom of heaven looks like through Jesus, yeah? Okay, so straight away, Mark 3, he chooses his 12 disciples. Why 12? Why not 13? Why not 11? Because of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, these are the kingdom people of God. And Jesus is saying, by choosing my 12 men, I'm making a new kingdom. Then Jesus calms the storm. So he's sleeping in a boat. The disciples are freaking out. There's waves crashing. They all think we're going to die. They wake up Jesus, and he says, be still. And the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, that's amazing. He's saying, I'm king over nature. But what I didn't realize till researching this, that Jewish people saw the sea representing chaos and oppression to the rule of God. So Jesus is saying, I rule over chaos and oppression. Next, and not just in Mark 5, but all through the Gospels, Jesus is just constantly healing many, many people. And if Jesus is healing many people in his model village, think of how many people will be healed in the full-size kingdom of heaven. And then in Mark 6 and 8, I love how this is put in Mark 6, because Mark 6 starts with a giant banquet that Herod is having in all his gold and his splendor, and he's rich and he's eating. And then it cuts to Jesus on a hillside, struggling to find any food, no food, and loads of people. And he feeds everyone with just a little and I never really got why then it's the 4,000 afterwards. I'm like, Jesus, are you losing your powers? What's going on? But actually, the 5,000 happens in a Jewish area, and the 4,000 happens in a Gentile area. So what Jesus is saying is he will always provide for everyone, the Jew and the Gentile. That means we get to play too in Jesus' kingdom. And finally, I'm going rogue. I'm going off mark because this was just too good. <laughs> The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. You see, another youngest son that we find in the Old Testament, who people don't often acknowledge as the youngest son, is Moses. And Moses brought the Ten Commandments. He brought the law to everyone, saying, if you want to get into heaven, you have to do these 12 things. And what Jesus said is, yes, those things are true, but if you're doing it out of striving, if you're doing it for pride, it's not going to work. And he gave the eight Beatitudes, and he's saying, blessed are the humble. We thought we had to strive. We thought we had to work really hard to prove ourselves. And God is saying, no, blessed are the humble. Blessed are the meek. I'm not going to go through this now, but you can see there's so many similarities, and there's so many differences. 
You see, Jesus was constantly teaching about the upside-down kingdom. He said, when man goes high for power, obeying rules for the sake of pride, Jesus goes low. Jesus washes the feet. He does the worst task in the house. He says, this is how you be the king. You serve the most. I wasn't going to tell this story, but it came to me during worship. Paul's cousins from Germany came to visit our church a couple of years ago. And they weren't Christians. We're just like, oh, let's see what happens. Um, And that day, Lydia, his cousin, gave her life to Jesus. And that was not from an incredible worship team. It wasn't even from an incredible preacher. Although it wasn't me on that day, but that's not the point. (laughs) What it was, was at the very end, she saw our pastor at the time, Holly, kneel and pray for someone's feet because their feet were hurting. And watching that act, watch the person at the very top get on their knees and make themselves lower out of an act of love and sacrifice, that is what made her think, that's the kingdom I want to be a part of. So, who wants to be a part of this kingdom? Anyone? Kenny does, great. I do. This kingdom sounds great. But the thing about this kingdom is it's a place without sin. And by sin, all I mean is following things that aren't the way of God. And we live in a world where morals are changing every single day, where we cringe at things we posted three years ago. Every day, the morals change. And do you know what's crazy? If you go back and read the words of Jesus, they all stand up. None of them are dated at all. So what he says is sin, I'm willing to say is sin. And what he says is good, I'm willing to say is good. And we can't live in his kingdom until the sin is killed. This has to happen for the kingdom to happen. I'm going to go back to my tangent of the coronation. So we've had the build-up, and now we have the enthronement. I got super distracted. I went down a rabbit hole on parliament.com and there is a detailed breakdown of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1953 and it is insane. Now I have been told not to go through it all because it's going to be distracting so I'm just going to show this as a prop. I wrote down the detailed breakdown of what happened on the day of the coronation And then I wrote down Bible verses that match it impeccably. This is a Tabitha Pettit original. This is the first theological document I've ever written. If anyone wants to see it, please, I'm going to leave it at the front. I'm just going to give you a taste of one thing, because I can't resist, and then we'll move on. The anointing part. The queen was divested of her crimson robe and then put in a white gown. And then new oil was laid on her. Now this oil that's happening to the king and queen next month, they are taking olives from the Mount of Olives where Jesus was crucified. And not only that, they're taking it from the garden of Mary Magdalene. And it was Mary Magdalene who anointed Jesus with oil six days before he was crucified. How crazy is this? How good is this document? You guys have to come look at it at the end. Imagine this. It's so similar 
It's so similar, but it's so different because we know this is an upside-down kingdom. Jesus was put in a robe. He was given a crown. He was given a scepter. He walked up a hill with crowds of people lining the way, shouting, he's the king of the Jews. Technically, it's all the same. But we know how different it was. We know it was ironic. We know it was making a mockery of our king. And when he got to the top, there was a plaque that said, here is the king of the Jews. But instead of a throne was a tree. And Jesus's first act of king, as he sat on his throne, was to say, I'm going to take responsibility for all of your crap. I'm taking responsibility for your sin. I am laying down my life because I'm the king. I'm going to take responsibility. This death is what it took. This enthronement of the most magnitudinal size is unlike anything a king or queen that we know could do because it was leading us back to a pure kingdom, back to the Garden of Eden with God again. And so now we get to live... Oh, oh yeah, okay, this is a good one. I'm going to leave this in. You see, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If ever there's a Bible verse to learn, I mean, that is a cracker. <laughs> so now we come to the rain. We've learned what the kingdom is. We're like, yes, we're on board. But we've seen that in order to live in this kingdom, the enthronement has had to happen. And now we're left in the dark with no king. So how does that work? I used to think the resurrection was a bit of like an added extra, like when there's an actor in a play and he gets killed and then he just stands up at the end to take a bow. That's what I used to think the resurrection was as a child. But we've already said this is about God overcoming evil, not just taking our sins. He has to overcome it. And in order to do that, he has to defeat death. And that is why this is the happiest day in history. That is why this is the day we celebrate. Not Good Friday when he died, but when he pro proved to us that he is God. He has the power to destroy death. Now, there's just one thing you need to know if you want to join this kingdom. And it's not an easy thing to do. You see, you also have to lay down your life just like Jesus. Now, I'm not asking you to kill yourself. Please, no one do that. Lay down your life as a living sacrifice so that your ways are higher than my ways. Your rules are higher than my rules, and I want to live my life your way. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. But it's so much better, isn't it? Every Christian here will have a testimony. I used to be like this. Then I gave my life to Jesus. Now I'm like this. We saw it with Marlon earlier. I actually took notes. I used to be lost. Now my life is amazing. It's difficult, but it's amazing. I used to live in drama. Now I have peace. Other people will testify. I used to be a drug addict, not me, but other people will testify that, and now I'm not. Myself, I used to be proud. 
I used to be an older son. I used to think I had it all together. Then I really met with Jesus, and it was painful. It was difficult. But now I'm humble. Now I'm broken. Now I know I can't do anything without him, and I'm no better than anyone, because Jesus is king. It's a bit like this. Imagine that we find out King Charles wants to come here next week. Okay? We would be repainting the walls, hurrying up with getting the roof fixed. We'd be like laying down the red carpet. We'd be putting on our best outfit. And when he comes here, we'd be curtsying or bowing and saying, Your Majesty. But deep down, we know it doesn't really matter. Like, he doesn't decide the rules of this country. He's a great figurehead, but I mean, it's the government that tell us what we're doing is right or wrong. It's the government that if we disobey, we'll go to prison or we'll be kicked out of this country. It's the prime minister who decides what is allowed and what's not allowed. And so my question for you today is, are you doing the same? Are you putting Jesus as a king who you worship on a Sunday? And are you putting yourself as the prime minister? I'm not saying if you put God as your prime minister, life will be perfect. As Chris mentioned, as Viv mentioned in her great talk last week, there's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Basically, what that means is the moment of the enthronement, the kingdom started to be ushered in. But that job will not be completed until the very end of the world. And so we live where sometimes we're in this wave of the kingdom is being ushered in, and sometimes we're living in this wave of it hasn't happened to this part yet. But one thing I will say, the more you lay down your life, the more you lay down your own motives, the more you are are helping to usher in the kingdom, the beautiful kingdom that Jesus described we can have. Because the more we see of God's way in our own life, the more it affects the people around us, and therefore the more kingdom it brings in into the world for others as well. I just, I just wonder if there's anyone here who's, who my words have affected about being a prime minister over your own life. Who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's why I came here on Easter Day. But I often make myself the prime minister. And if that's you, if you want to live in this kingdom, if you genuinely, wholeheartedly want to hand something over that means you live under God's rules now. I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. I'm just going to ask you, we can all close our eyes if it helps. Let's all close our eyes. And if you are that person who says, yeah, I do take the reins. I do believe in God, but not enough to give him the ruling over my life. I'm going to ask you to take a brave step and stand up. It's so good. It's so good. People in heaven, angels in heaven are rejoicing. They've just gained another citizen. And guys, if you're around someone standing up, let, let's pray for them. And if the band want to come up, 
There's another group of people I think we should pray for today, and that's if you're aware of your sin and you crucify it with Jesus every day and it just feels like it keeps coming back. I just think we can, we can leave our sin on the cross today and the thing that stops it coming back isn't from constantly crucifying it. It's from just choosing to walk away. Just like this picture on the screen, it's choosing just to leave that sin that we've crucified in the tomb and walk out. And so if that's you, you're really welcome to come to the front for prayer or to stand or to turn to the person next to you and ask for help crucifying your sin, but mainly leaving it in the tomb, walking away into freedom, into the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that there's people in this room handing back their lives to you, all for the first time. Thank you, Lord, that there's people saying, I don't want to be prime minister anymore. It's too hard and I'm not very good at it. You be king. You are capable. You had the birthright, but you proved yourself worthy, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for taking our sin, Lord. Thank you for crucifying it with you. Thank you for defeating it on the cross. Thank you that we get to live in this new kingdom. Thank you that your kingdom is so wonderful. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.